Welcome to Had a Magical Day, the podcast about Disney parks that's like taking a vacation in the middle of your day. Welcome to part two of our interview with Gary Somers. This episode will be aired, I think, about a week before you get an appearance at the New England Comic Con. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? The Northeast Comic Con is, uh, and Collectibles Extravaganza is July 2, 3, and 4 at the Boxborough Regency Hotel. It's a large uh, collectors and fan event featuring a lot of Disney, but a lot of pop culture of all sorts. Philo Barnhart, the original animator and character designer of Ariel and Ursula and uh, many other characters will be there along with uh, Billy West, the voice of Futurama and Ren and Stimpy and Space Jam. Uh, many, many. Oh, yeah. Vincent Martella, the voice of uh, Phineas and Ferb will be there. Oh. Uh, many other uh, artists, um, creators, writers, uh, celebrities and musicians, including NRBQ, my favorite band. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but they were the house band on The Simpsons for three seasons. <laughs> but they're like the greatest rock and roll band that that nobody ever heard of. Is it safe uh, so, to say it's going to be a wild weekend? Good girl. That's one of the NRBQ songs. Very good. Yeah, going to be a wild weekend in the hotel. Live music, panels, um, uh, cosplay, a lot of Disney cosplay always uh, at our shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a lot of fun. It's low dough admission, 25 bucks in advance for a day of uh, weirdness and uh, entertainment. So go to the website at necomiccons.com uh, for more information, a uh, list of what's going on, and I uh, hope to see you all there. All right. Yeah, I got a question for you. All right, so we, we've got all this merchandise in the park, and that's very exciting. When does it kind of start to go over to your Kmart's and your mass retailing? Is that soon after the park? Is that, tell me, do you know about that part of it? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's a coordinated effort. They have licensed merchandise that's different in the parks than in stores. Target, Walmart, you know, everybody has their um their relationship with disney to produce products that are exclusive to their their businesses um and when you're somebody like walmart or target uh, or any of those big chains you could say we're buying you know a hundred thousand of these pieces you know even if you're only getting a dollar on each one profit you just made a hundred thousand dollars sign here um so they make exclusive products for the parks and that began about 1989 or 1990 when they discovered that the parks had a fan base outside and above and beyond um, film or character fans. You know, Mm -hmm. there was Mickey Mouse fans, there was Little Mermaid fans, but there were park fans who collected park memorabilia. And realistically, they didn't cater to that previously merchandise wise, where you'd have to go to the park to get these. It wasn't like you could go to Walmart and get the same thing. No, you had to pay to get in, to get into the park, to get these things. And it became so lucrative to Disney, they had to stop the employees from going into the park and buying up all that stuff because (laughs) they were getting 30% off and Disney was selling the whole thing to the park employees who were taking them out and selling them to us. Uh, (laughs) And and so many things evolved in that early, you know, late 1989 to 1995 time period in the Disney park merchandising that, you know, changed pretty much everything in the collecting world. Mm -hmm. 
Now you said you're a big Disney fan and you, when uh, you think of the Disneyland park and you're probably of age to watch, you know, the ABC show and stuff when it was building. So what is something like your favorite uh, things from that era, even though they might not be super valuable? You mean from the the fifties Disneyland yes. era? Yep. Well, um, I mean, in my own personal collection, that's not a focus. Uh, mm. You know, I mean, the perspectives, you can't top that. So once I sold that, I mean, I still have my, my Walt autograph that somebody got from Walt in person at Disneyland. You know, great story, know the whole story. So it was really like, I feel like I got it, but I didn't, you know, but I know <laughs> it's authentic. So that kind of stuff. But, but again, and then I've handled so many cells from that time period. But when I think about the Disneyland TV show, I was at the age, you know, I was three years old in 55. Uh, my sister was born in 55. So I grew up on Mickey Mouse Club, 55 to 59. You know, that that whole group. Of kids. I thought I was one of the kids in the club. No two ways about it. I mean, I must be. I mean, I, I hang out with them every day. You know, I, I know all their songs. I can, you know, so I must fit in, which really corrupted me mentally because I produce a lot of cast reunions and worked with, I got to meet a lot of the, the Mouseketeers, you know, uh, Johnny Crawford, who just passed, was a dear friend. And so, you know, there were so many different uh, things that I emulated from watching the show every day. Uh, oh, yeah, I must be famous, too. OK, so uh, I'm a child star. Did you know that? No, I didn't <laughs> either. But uh, that's what I grew up on. So I was surrounded with all that stuff. Uh, but I never got to go to the parks as a child, not to any of the parks. Uh, in 1964, I got to go to the New York World's Fair, which was my Disney park, my Disney experience. I wrote, I, I got to go five times to the park. Um, so maybe six, I think six, but the reality was, is I got to witness it's a small world and the dinosaurs and the Ford Pavilion and all these things that uh, uh, Carousel of Progress still is my favorite attraction of all times forever. I mean, and it at by the, uh, the whole story of Walt and the World's Fair is amazing. You must, you must know all about that. But luckily, I got to meet Ralph Kent. And Ralph is an interesting gentleman. It, it, in, uh, in 1955, he graduated um, high school and met Walt Disney. He walked into Walt Disney's office to his secretary, and I can't remember, he told me her name, and said, I'm here uh, because Walt sent me a letter uh, saying if I'm ever in California to come to the park. Well, I'm here. And presented the letter to the secretary saying, Walt asked me to come here. And Walt <laughs> came out actually and met him and hired him as an artist and working for Walt. And in 1959, Ralph Kent brought back the Mickey Mouse watch for Walt. He, he redesigned it and delivered it to market. Um, so then Ralph got on the World's Fair team and helped create Carousel, uh, Small World, a lot of this stuff throughout that whole period. So it, this is like 19, then jump ahead to like 1980, I don't know, five or 86, I moved here. And I'm set up at a flea market in Norton, Massachusetts. And the guy next to me, he's got all these toys. We start talking and it's Ralph Kent. Okay. <laughs> now I didn't know who he was. I, you know, until after I got to know him and we became friends and 
it was just just a, luck it, to meet him and be able to learn so much from him. Uh, and then in 1990, I had just produced the Lost in Space cast reunion at the Bayside Expo Center. First time the cast had ever been together since the TV show ended. And Guy Williams had just died months earlier while we were trying to put the whole thing together. So I did this big event. You know, Ralph was there, all kinds of people. Gary Wolf from Roger Rabbit was there. You know, lots of people. Um, so Ralph tells me, you know, I don't know if I really ever told you, but I'm, I'm back working at the park in the animation facility studio. I went, cool, that's great. You know, they need you, you know. Well, would you like to come down and talk to the company? We're thinking of doing a convention like this for Disney people. I went, wow, that sounds like fun. I'm, I'm a Disney geek, I'd love to. So I got invited down. We, we created the first Disneyana convention at Walt Disney World at the Contemporary Resort. They pulled all kinds of stuff out of the archives, drawings and merchandise, all kinds of stuff that now event now goes to Character Warehouse or someplace. I don't know. But anyway, it was just piles and piles of original stuff. And they wanted to know how to price it. So I helped them price it. And then we came up with the idea of, like I tried to explain to them, I says, we're park rats. We want to know, we want stuff from the parks. We don't want Mickey Mouse and we don't want, well, I want Roger Rabbit, but I don't care about Little Mermaid. <laughs> but, you know, um, we want park stuff. And so I got them to create this whole new entity of exclusives to the parks and pins, you know, Alex Maher and Brian Blackmore and uh, Tom Bancroft and all these guys were in the animation merchandising department, drawing figurines and, and pins and stuff like that. So a whole new world opened up. Oh, that's a song uh, <laughs> of pin trading and pins and park exclusives. Because the concept was, if you have to go to the park every month to get a pin in order to have all 12 from the set, they're going to get you to pay every month. Oh, no, annual passports. Oh, doesn't matter. They tripled the amount of sales of annual passports. So all this stuff helped create a new demand for the parks. We didn't go to the parks to ride the rides, rode the rides. We went to the park to get the merchandise that no one else could have. Mm -hmm. So, Gary, I got to ask pins now i i went through i went to disney as a kid and then i had my daughter and we started taking her and we get there and there's people walking around with the pins and i'm like what is this this i had no idea what was going on and i think i somebody gave me a pin and like do you want to trade and i was like what are you talking about <laughs> so to someone like myself who's a little outside of this is this like just a disney phenomenon did you guys come up with this does this happen elsewhere like i was fascinated by it tell, tell us more about this whole pin thing well, the whole pin thing in the 90s evolved because of exclusivity, um, where you could only get this pin, and there was only 500 made, and they're gone. And but now... Just, but this was just at Disney, right? This is just... Just started at Disney. No right. other companies, they, they cashed in on it later, but it just started, this whole concept was, we Disney people, we'll pay more for something if it's so exclusive that our friends can't have it. Uh, <laughs> So with the pins, they were small enough and they were cheap. They were $3.95, $4.95, $5.95. Now all of a sudden they're $6.95. So Disney knew that it didn't cost them any more to make them. But if the man got larger, they could charge more. So they would make quant small quantities and just make small changes and put them in different places. So every character um, 
there, so there's people that collect characters. There's people that collect films. There's people that collect park related. So, you know, they want the figment. Wasn't in a film, but everything that figment's in, I got to have every figment pin. You got a figment pin I don't have? I'll trade you for this Splash Mountain pin you don't have. So that the, um, so what also happened was <clears throat> some pins started trading for five pins. Well, I'll give you five pins for that one. Okay, now there's a marketplace. Well, how much is this pin worth? Well, then you eBay started in 1997. <clears throat> so eBay actually started in 96, but by 1997, it had started to become the pin marketplace. Uh, eBay was the Beanie Baby, Magic the Gathering, and now all of a sudden pins. So I had friends who were working at the parks and who lived at Celebration when it opened, and their whole life was wrapped around getting pins and selling them on Fleabay for as much money as possible. And then the prices started going, pins were selling for hundreds of dollars. What people, what most people don't know is these types of pins started in the 1930s. These enamel type pins, Kay Kamen was manufacturing hundreds of different styles and designs. And we went back to Kay's original thought path that everyone needs one, they're cheap, they're small, collect them all. And then the whole Disney started creating a trading area at the park for people who would go there with their lanyards full of pins and their jackets covered and their hats covered. And they go in and they knew what the stuff was worth. So they knew they could take advantage of a newbie or, you know, a newbie would be able to get what they needed. Oh, they just collect the white rabbit from uh, uh, Alice in Wonderland. It's the only character they want. And they have a white rabbit that you don't have. Oh, I'll trade you. And that's, fulfills that collector's need to want to share trade and gain without having to pay out through the butt you know it's like it's a fun way to to network with the community of others that think alike mm -hmm. and you feel like you have a little valuable thing from the park that other people don't have you have a memory you did that trade you met somebody you didn't you felt it was a fair trade you had a fair exchange that's a great memory, you know? Well, you, think, uh, I'm sorry. I think that's also something we don't do that much these days. You know, outside of it, you go to Target, you give me your credit card, you get your Oreos, you go home. You know, outside of a yard sale or a flea market or... Or my Comic-Con, where we do a lot of this. <laughs> yes, or what fabulous Comic-Con coming up first uh, week in July. No, but I, I think that's a really kind of fun, interesting way to bond with folks that you might not have met otherwise. And that's why we produce these collectibles Comic-Con things is because we put a hundred vendors in there that are happy to trade. We're happy to have that experience. We're happy for people to bring their stuff in and be able to share it. Like, no, I don't want to sell or trade this. I just thought you'd want to see it. I'm like, yeah. Uh, so it, it's like, we don't need to own it. And what's so funny about this new generation, this cell phone gener, this Instagram cell phone narcissistic generation? I say, well, what do you collect? And they say, well, I collect Disney pins. I says, really? How many do you have? Well, I have pictures of several thousand I got off of Pinterest. <laughs> I says, do you own any of those? No, just pictures. I'm saying, well, that's not a collection. That's just an aggregation of images. Okay, so slap them and send them off to get a real. I give them a free pin here. Wear this, now you have a collection started. So buy more. <laughs> so you were mentioning earlier about the cycle of nostalgia, how it's about like 20 years. 
Now, are the, the pins a little different because there's always new pins? So like the, the 1990 pins would have been at their height, like in 2010. Are those still popular? Or is it the next generation of pins that keep becoming more valuable? Every time a new fan joins the club, there's a new marketer, you know, mm -hmm. a new market. Because um, I guess it comes down to how much money can you spend on crap you can't eat. And so this generation will discover things that make them happy that they want to put their money into. And whether it's, you know, all of a sudden, my daughter loves Little Mermaid. She's eight and I'm going to buy every Little Mermaid thing and we're going to collect that together because I love Little Mermaid when I was eight. Bingo, bango, now Little Mermaid merchandise is all of a sudden popular for that reason, but just to them or those mm. type of people. And each movie, like to me, Roger Rabbit's the best movie ever made in history. And I collect Roger Rabbit stuff. I'm so lucky to know Gary Wolf, the creator of Roger Rabbit, and I'm all networked with all these people so I get to see everything, but I can't buy everything. I can't get everything. <laughs> so I'm just happy that I get to at least know that it exists. So speaking of this, we didn't talk much about the Disney World, but again, like Disney World, so that's 71. Again, the peak for some of that memorabilia has passed, but is, has there been like a nostalgia boom for some of the later parks? Have uh, like Epcot was like 80... 81. 81. Yeah, so that would have passed already. I don't know. What, what no, no, no. So the difference about the parks is, is the yeah. parks evolve. Mm -hmm. The parks are something people take as an experience. So if you'd ever gone to the park, you wouldn't collect park stuff. It wouldn't interest you. You know, if, in this case of Jiminy Cricket, he was actually the spokesperson for opening of Epcot Center, environmentality. He was on everything, you know, uh, in, in everything, the spokesmodel for the whole first year or year and a half. People who collect Jiminy Cricket want all that stuff, but they don't care that it's Epcot. They just want it because it's Jiminy. So yeah. that crossover is what drives demand. Now, there's other things from each opening of the parks that are unique to the parks, like when they deassess the ride cars from Snow White or those other things. And they were like auctioning them off for 10 grand. You can get an actual ride car. That was pretty cheap, but getting it home was another five. So <laughs> it's like, well, where am I going to put it? Oh, I'll just never mind. Uh, but those are the types of collectibles that, that the people that can afford it buy. And then the limited editions, you'll notice that they produce, you know, commemorative limited editions. Like I have a, a, a ticket for the opening of Epcot, I, you know, the commemorative ticket. I have the opening of MGM, I think, and I think I have an Animal Kingdom opening ticket, but they're commemorative. They're really, they made plenty of them. Mm -hmm. uh, they were, they were sold. Therefore, everybody that wanted one could probably buy one <laughs> the Disney way. And, uh, nobody turned them in nobody used them everyone's is in mint condition so <laughs> unless it's unless somebody wrecked theirs there's not going to be big enough demand you know mm -hmm. like yes that, for, i imagine that's true for a lot of stuff i remember when i was a kid when disney world was opening we didn't go right away but my father bought me a commemorative book that they had it was like a big d-shaped book and had lots of pictures and stories about the park but there's a million of those out there right there's no way they're that they're worth any worth any money no, they're worth 10 bucks to somebody yeah. if it's in really good shape. So, I mean, that's just, it's historical knowledge and for somebody that might not have it. But you go to Florida and you go to the, the flea markets around Stanford and the coasts on both coasts, you're going to find tons of Disney World stuff. 
that was, you know, uh, moved from household to flea market, to a yard sale to flea market to thrift store to wherever it's going next, it, it's a big cycle because people's perspective of value is different. If you are experienced in it, your perspective is that's common. If you're not experienced, you might, I've never seen that before. Well, great. It's only 10 bucks. You know, so education, knowledge, perspective, and, you know, uh, savvy, you know, how much do you need that? You know, can you eat it? That's the question. <laughs> so here, here's a question. So let's talk about like decommissioning rides. Okay, so ride is going, um, getting changed over. I mean, is Disney, I assume back in the day, things might just get tossed out or somebody would just bring it home and it would kind of find its way to the market that way. I'm guessing now everything's pretty much under lock and key. And unless Disney is purposely selling it, it's not going anywhere. Would you say that's probably accurate unless it's... It's been under lock and key since forever. Okay. Um, so anything that gets out, um, it ride-wise, big, you know, things like that, um, is they know exactly how it went, where it went and everything else. So they have huge warehouses full of stuff. Um, think Indiana Jones, you know, okay. They have plenty of, uh, stuff stored away. So when they, uh, deassess the ride cars, this was in the nineties and they auctioned them off through at the Disneyana conventions. And then they let a couple of them go through some of the major auction houses in a way to promote a movie or a product line or something that was coming out in order to get the public's attention and get media coverage. We're auctioning off Snow White's ride car. Oh, by the way, buy the Snow White this or that. So um, they would clean them up and make them beautiful and make them presentation worthy, museum worthy before they sold them. So you weren't buying something that was used and abused. You're buying a collector's item and they want you to pay top dollar for. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to find a Space Mountain cart at the um, Taunton flea market these days is what you're trying to tell me. I'm trying to tell you, you're in the wrong state. If you're going to look for one of those, you go to the flea markets in Southern California near where the park was. And if, you know, you know, there's a chance that somebody, you know, rode one home one afternoon after work. And, and <laughs> I mean, I think there's Matterhorn cars that were lost and other things, you know, they just, they could have tossed them. They could have scrapped them, but uh, they control as much as they can and they have space to do that. Yeah. I think I remember a couple of years ago on eBay, there was uh, a monorail, at least the front section of a monorail for sale. Like it was a hundred thousand dollars yeah, down in Florida. So yeah. Right. Was that, was that real? Yeah, it was real. Yeah. Cause yeah. I've heard of that. Um, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a monorail head. I think that's like my favorite part of, you know, Carousel Progress is my favorite ride, but monorail, I mean, I rode the monorail at the World's Fair and I've been hooked ever since. So, um, and again, I, everything goes back to the World's Fair. Uh, I, I, Small World uh, Ford ride, which eventually became the GM ride at, at Epcot and, and all those kind of things, but and Carousel and the monorail. The World's Fair is something you should really investigate. That's the very best disney theme park ever yeah and that's basically the beginning of animatronics so they had great moments with mr lincoln there right that was one wow of the, the that was mind-blowing when he stood up absolutely we didn't know we didn't have robots like that where'd that come from where's my flying car next you know exactly so 
explain a little so it's a running joke between andrea and i that i like you love carousel progress and she does not i've not been able to explain to her why it's a special ride well, you want to explain what it was like to see it in 1964 we're in the middle of the space age the future is limitless and you go to this uh world's fair and, and you see this this ride well i thought because i'm like a a real nerd that queuing was really important like getting in a ride getting off a ride that just boggled my mind it was my first experiences in that you know wow you just walk up there and the thing's moving and you just walk on and it never stops. You're just like, wow. So I probably went on it about six times just because it was so amazing. But what most people don't know is in 1964, we were only 30 or 40 years past a crank telephone, no television. Radio was all we had really. And and limited television and and we're gonna go to the moon a man just circled the earth in a spaceship this was all incredible because 50 years earlier we were on horseback and using telegrams and again back to andy um, andy give me mabel mabel give me Andy. you know i mean it was just like wow this is this is you watched from 1890 to 1960 um that was in real time, it was almost like, you think about it, I know towns that are still like this 1940s town and this 1950s town. And then we were in this 1960s living room. And then all of a sudden, we're in a 19 future and she's got computers and color TVs. And <laughs> oh my God, what was that? And then you have to get back on it again because you couldn't see it all. Uh, and so what you have is this panorama of, of progress and that's what the whole carousel of progress is about progress and here we are now they they updated it but you can't update it to weigh you know the massive jump that it, it that happened and now people are so complacent oh my phone only gets me four million messages a minute i need it faster uh, oh my tesla will only get me 350 miles on a single charge oh where 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 you don't have to ride a horse to get there. So you should be happy. And we just beat a plague. Come on. Everything is progressing. So the carousel of progress, we are still on. Can you see the future? Can you see the past? That's why it's important. Showing both. Mm -hmm. Gary, I just have to say, you have sold me on the carousel of progress. <laughs> I have been a long time. Finally. But Next time I go, I'm going to be looking at this with, with new eyes and I'll be hearing your voice in my head and your enthusiasm for it. So thank you. Sit in the front row. Each time you go, sit on one side of the front row and then one time sit in the middle, in the, in the very middle of the theater and watch it. Because each time you see it, different things, you'll see so many different things on that stage that if you don't look at it, it's just going to go by. It progressed past you. Yeah, I also like the fact that like the thing that's impressed me about that ride is like how the pace of change has changed a little bit. Like now things change quicker, but they're smaller changes. Like a phone is still a phone. It's got a computer in it and stuff, but computers existed when I was a kid. Now they're just smaller. But when you look back at what those people, how their lives changed so dramatically in, in 20 years and then another 20 years, uh, it's pretty remarkable to, to think about. Yeah, with us, the phone just goes up in price. That's yeah. all. <laughs>
every week. How much is your phone now? Woo! Now you mentioned monorails. I'm a big monorail guy too. And I was looking, you know, to prepare for this and some of the memorabilia. So I'm curious about monorails, right? So even Shuko, the Shukos. Are yeah, the, 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 the older models. What are some of the monorail models that are out there that, you know, the Shuko, the Shuko monorails from like the late fifties are the just the best. They're toys. Uh, you can add them. You can stretch, build a huge layout of them. They're expensive now, but I used to get them all the time. I built nice little layouts and stuff like that. Really enjoyed playing with those, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but that's like that's uh, that's a really hard toy to find in nice mint condition, but worth it because it's just a fabulous toy. Then they made a monorail for the uh, Disney World series. Uh, like 10 years ago, big giant thing goes with the castle and mm -hmm. all the other rides. I have all of those. I bought all of those, the whole yeah. monorail thing. And that has like an elevated plastic track that it goes. Yeah. Around. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, you can have I to go have to the that. castle and also to Epcot, right? There's an Epcot. Yeah. I have the, the contemporary. I have the spaceship earth. I'm crazy. Okay. And then I bought all the ones for the uh, California adventure, all the amusement rides, you know, the big that fit on the same uh, scale as the, that monorail. I haven't but, seen those. So they have little models of, of the California Adventure rides. They're not little. They're huge. Yeah. Oh, they're, yeah. they're big. They fit on that same scale as the contemporary and the Spaceship Earth and that monorail. Mm -hmm. But I don't think they have many more. They might, but they're really fabulous. The coaster, the Ferris wheel, the spinny thingy. Um, mm -hmm. They're fun. Uh, you know, I like the amusement park ride toys. Yeah. So in other monorails, you know, there's a miniature. I think it's Olszewski has a little miniature. Now, it doesn't operate, but it, it's a monorail that goes with all his little buildings to make that. Uh, oh, he's yeah. the one who makes those little models that you can see, like little in the higher-end stores at Disney Springs and, and on Main Street. Very expensive, yeah. but just, I only have a few Olszewski pieces, but they were exclusive to the conventions that I went to. Mm -hmm. So very park related. I, and I can't remember which ones I got. I think maybe Haunted Mansion. A couple yeah, that's of, the know. one. I think it's the, the mansion in the front and you turn around the back, you can see the hike, hitchhiking ghosts and yeah. Adam Leota, right? Yes, yes, I got that. Like, see, I love the good quality miniatures, you know. I just can't afford them. I mean, they're just extremely expensive and limited, but that's the kind of thing, if you if you collect the character or you collect the film or you collect the park, you get them because of that exclusivity. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I have a, a dream of getting all those, what is it, Olszewski? Is that? Olszewski, yes. Yeah, Olszewski. and, and, and re recreating like Main Street and the, yeah. Uh, the castle, yeah. Yeah, no, great. I, a lot of people do it. You know, Bobby Sherman built it in his backyard, uh, one fifth, one eighth scale. Yeah. <laughs> really, the whole Main Street, the castle, everything in his backyard. You should look that up. Bobby Sherman, the singer. Yep. Oh, I'll have to look that up. All right. You know, strange facts you need to know. I wasn't sure if you meant the singer who was some old yes. imaginer that I hadn't heard of. <laughs> okay. No, the singer, you know, that. He went on to be, you know, a builder. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> all right. But anyway, all, all I can say is come to my Comic-Con, Northeast Comic-Con, uh, July 2, 3, and 4 at the Boxborough Regency Hotel and Conference Center. Guaranteed, not boring, and free parking, all in one place, uh, low-do admission. Uh, come and have fun. Buy stuff. Meet people. Yeah, it'll it's, be a great time. The plague is over. The plague is over. <laughs> What better way to celebrate than get out there at the Comic-Con? Come out and be wacky with us. Yeah.
Yeah. Andrew will be out there. I'll, I'll, I'll head on down. Absolutely. You better. I'll put your name on the list. That way, if you don't show up, I'll know. You'll know. I know. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll just consider it Disney World for a day. There you go. And there you go. All right. Well, this has been terrific. Thank you so much, Gary, for giving us all your time today. And we will see you real soon. Aloha. That was the best one we did yet. Yeah. <laughs>